On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Chase Douglas about serverless development workflows. This is Serverless Chats, episode number four. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeremy Daly, and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Chase Douglas. Hi, Chase. Thanks for joining me. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, so you are the CTO at Stackery, which is in Portland. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what Stackery does? Yeah, so I'm the CTO and co-founder at Stackery, and I've spent my career figuring out how to manage complex systems. And as serverless, as an architecture pattern started to take off, uh, I was really interested in finding how do we help people uh, adopt that architectural pattern more easily. So Stackery is a product, uh, a tool set that makes it easier for anyone from individual developers on up to teams and organizations, uh, but especially at larger sizes, uh, manage to uh, design uh, manage environments, uh, deploy, and uh, at the other side, help monitor uh, their serverless applications. So uh, I wanted to have you on the podcast today because I want to talk about serverless development workflows. And I think that um, you, when when people start moving into the serverless paradigm, uh, we got to sort of change the way that we think about developing applications. And that you know, everything from whether you're developing locally or developing remotely or whether you're trying to do something like offline emulation or, uh, you know, trying to do the remote testing, things like that. So just what are some of your thoughts on sort of this idea of these serverless development workflows? How does it sort of change things? Yeah, serverless itself is a different way of building, developing, and including testing applications. And one of the things that we have to step back and recognize is that at the end of the day, we're still developing software, we're still testing software, uh, but we need to find the right ways to be efficient at how we do those. It's slightly different in a serverless world. And so it, we once we find the right patterns and once we start to use those as an individual or in a team, uh, things actually speed up once again. So there's, a, there's an interesting play here, uh, but it's all about just finding the right uh, mix and match of how to, to do the things we're familiar with when it comes to development and testing. Yeah, so that makes a ton of sense. So what I think I'd like to do is sort of dive down into a number of these different topics, um, you know, break it down a little bit and get into, uh, I mean, because again, you're an expert. Stackery obviously is all about building out these workflows or helping developers build these workflows. So I, I want to get into these these details here. Uh, and let's start with sort of just really maybe 30,000 uh, foot view. How has cloud sort of changed the way that we develop software? Yeah, so we the way that we've always developed software uh, up until very recently was uh, it would in the end be running on servers, whether it's in a data center or in the cloud, but these servers were monolithic compute resources. And that meant that uh, typical architectures might be a, a LAMP style stack. You've got a, a Linux server and you've got a, a MySQL database uh, off 
to the side somewhere, maybe on the same machine, maybe on a different machine. Uh, but mostly as a developer, you're focused on that one server. And that means that you can run that same application on your laptop. So we're, we're, we've become very comfortable. We've built up tooling around the idea of being able to run an entire application on our laptop, on our desktop in the past, uh, that faithfully replicated what happens when that gets shipped into production in a data center or in the cloud. With serverless, the, everything is kind of a little, works differently. You don't have a monolithic architecture with a single server somewhere or a cluster of servers all running the same application code. You start to break everything down into architectural components. So you have an API proxy layer. You have a compute layer that oftentimes is made up of Lambda, though it can include other things like uh, AWS Fargate, which is a, a Docker-based uh, serverless in the sense that you don't manage the underlying servers uh, approach. So you've got some compute resources. Uh, if you need to do queuing, instead of spinning up your own cluster of Kafka machines, you might take something off the shelf, whether it's uh, SQS from AWS or their own Kafka service or Kinesis Streams. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole host of services that are available to be used off the shelf. And so your style of building applications is around how to piece those pieces together rather than figuring out how to put those and merge those all into a single monolithic application. So how, how then do developers need to think differently? I mean, again, I'm super familiar with the LAMP stack. That was probably where I started. Well, I started with Perl and, um, and static text files, but uh, we, won't, we won't talk about that. Uh, but as we got a little bit more advanced and we started using things like the LAMP stack, um, uh, obviously it was very easy for us to just either test it locally or to even build it in the cloud. It was, uh, or not the cloud on our hosting provider, but we could just easily upload a new file uh, and things would magically work for us. But as you mentioned, things get more distributed, right? Once we go into this cloud environment, you've got multiple services working together. You don't own those services necessarily. So if something breaks with those services, um, you kind of have to deal with that. So maybe what are some of the limitations that a, that a, uh, that a developer might have to deal with when they're starting to move you know, their production workloads to the cloud? Yeah, for all the benefits you get from serverless with its auto scaling and its um, you know, capabilities of scaling down to zero, which reduces developer cost, uh, you do have some things that you have to, to manage uh, that are a little different than before. One of the key things is if I've got like a compute resource, like a Lambda function in the cloud, that has a set of permissions that it's granted, and it has some mechanism for locating uh, the external services like uh, SQSQ or an SNS topic or an S3 bucket. So it has these two things that it needs to be able to function, the permissions and locations. So the challenge that uh, people often hit very early on in serverless development is if I'm writing software on my laptop and I want to test it without having to go through a full deployment cycle, which may take a few minutes to, uh, to, to deploy the latest code change, even if it's a, a one character change up to the cloud service provider, how can I actually test with proper permissions and proper uh, service discovery uh, location mechanisms 
from my laptop? What mechanisms are there to do that? Uh, so that's something that we are uh, uh, always evolving. Uh, but uh, you know, especially here at Stackery, we we have some some interesting ideas about how to make that easier. Well, so what about maybe you know some of these these the ways that we try to replicate the the uh, uh, the cloud environment locally, right? So we can run Docker containers maybe that that uh, simulate this. We've also have uh, you know we can do mocking, we can do stubbing, we can do some of these other things. Um, you know, wh why why are those a good idea or not a good idea? Yeah, there's two different approaches. There's the the fakes where you run uh, a, a fake version of DynamoDB, a fake version of S3, and you run those oftentimes by running Docker containers on your own laptop that uh, you facilitate how your your compute resource, your function can locate it. Uh, but the challenge there with running fakes is that Docker is a little bit of a beast to run, uh, and not everyone has uh, 16 gigabytes of memory on their laptop. Uh, so while you can spin up a fake S3 service and you can spin up a fake DynamoDB table, uh, it can be quite challenging to spin up fakes for all the different services that a modern application consumes. Uh, many applications that we see uh, are comprised of a dozen different uh, services. And so faking all those is challenging. On the mock side, that's where instead of running a full fake service, uh, for testing purposes, you've got the ability to say, oh, pretend that there's an S3 API that responds with these data when, it is, when certain requests are made to it. The challenge there is, uh, you still have a, a fidelity challenge of what happens when the service is updated and it has new features that you need or slightly changes, uh, or the mechanics are slightly different at different scales. Uh, these are things that can only reliably be tested in the cloud uh, and, and not on a laptop. So you get kind of a, a partial fidelity out of it. Right, and I mean, the other thing you have too is when you start to test some of these complex workflows, right? If you're doing, you know, an SNS to SQS and then consuming that with a Lambda or you're uh, implementing something like the event fork uh, pipelines that uh, AWS recently released uh, or trying to do maybe some sort of fan out process and things like that, you're not going to see the, the sort of how those actually work locally uh, until you deploy those to the cloud. Exactly, yeah. Again, it goes back to that, that idea that your applications now are a graph of connected resources. It's not a monolithic uh, service. And so how do you connect all these things together? If you have a function that writes to a DynamoDB table, but then there's a stream coming off that DynamoDB table of all of the events that have occurred, how do you model that with mocks and fakes? I'm sure it's possible, but it is not very straightforward. And so then you do it for one service, DynamoDB over here. Now you have to do it for all the other services as they have all their different ways of spawning events and, and uh, interacting with other resources themselves. And I can imagine that can get pretty 
pretty tough when you start working with teams, right? And you have maybe one thing as a mock, maybe one thing is, you know, like you said, is a, is using a fake, uh, a fake to, to process the data or whatever, um, that, that, that those testing, the testing there gets pretty difficult. Exactly. A lot of times when we're talking about fakes and mocks anyways, uh, it's to fake or mock away one part of the system as you develop and test a different part. But what happens when you're done developing and testing that one part and you need to focus on a third part? You may need to tear down those mocks or those fakes. You may need to completely build up different mocking and faking. And so you sometimes see sort of an explosive growth of test framework mechanisms uh, to be able to test everything uh, in lieu of actually testing things in a cloud-like environment. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about the development tools that are available um, to serverless developers? And, and I think that uh, where you have a lot of experience here is obviously with working with customers uh, for Stackery, you get to go into these companies, see how they're doing it now, um, and give us sort of a really, I think, interesting insights into what other companies are doing. So could you maybe give us a typical development workflow or what you see is the typical development workflow when you come into a, when you come into a company? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of people out there as well who are fairly new to the, the whole serverless ecosystem. And we have learned as we've engaged with many of them at Stackery uh, what that looks like and, and, and what they feel. Um, there's a lot where people understand based on what they find online uh, that serverless has a lot of benefits and they want to achieve those benefits, whether it's scalability, uh, managing costs or making costs more predictable, um, whatever it is that, that drew them to the, the, the possibilities of serverless, they then needed to take the next step of how do I realize that? What tooling is out there to help me build my application? People oftentimes, they do a Google search, they come across a serverless framework, which is a great entry point into the, the serverless ecosystem. Uh, but then one of the places that that starts to stretch uh, too far is as soon as people get beyond uh, building a single function or a function that is in response to one set of event sources, and they need to expand into a graph of sources where you might have an API that has a route backed by a function, which needs to access a DynamoDB table, which has a stream that's going to create another function. That's all technically possible to uh, set up inside of the, the serverless framework, uh, but it starts to become very challenging to do that without diving into the, the raw uh, CloudFormation syntax, uh, which is the infrastructure as code that the serverless framework uh, compiles down to. So. People then start to look around, and, and they uh, many of them come to us, uh, starting to ask questions around um, how does this grow beyond uh, a view of just functions that respond to events? Uh, beyond that, how do I manage environments so that I can deploy uh, my own version of our application, and each of my team members can deploy their own versions into different environments? Uh, and into production and staging and test environments, uh, and how to manage credentials. And the really interesting and, and fun thing is that there's there are great solutions out there for all of this. There's uh, AWS Systems Manager Parameter Store for parameters. There's uh, AWS Secrets Manager 
for managing credentials. Uh, CloudFormation and, and SAM, the serverless, serverless application model, which is kind of an extension on top uh, that AWS publishes. Uh, these all provide great mechanisms and people just need ways of, of piecing them together in the same way that they're piecing together the underlying service Lego blocks to build their applications. Yeah, and so the other thing too is a, a, a sort of the CI/CD pipelines that you see a lot of um, companies deploying. I mean, there's always uh, articles out there uh, that says, "Hey, here's how you do it." You know, with uh, with serverless, here's how you do safe deployments, things like that. Um, is is that a challenge? I mean, is that it, it seems pretty straightforward. I've set a few of these up myself. Uh, is, is it is it relatively straightforward, or is this something that you see a lot of customers having trouble with as well? Lots of people want to know how do I set up a CI/CD pipeline for serverless, and in fact, that's the that's one of the the top questions we get. But it actually isn't quite just how do I set up a CI/CD pipeline. Certainly, that's that's part of it. That's part of any proper application environment. Uh, but pipeline is really the key here. They're asking more. They're asking not only once I've got code written, how do I integrate and deploy that out effectively? They tend to ask, they tend to be asking for what is the entire workflow process from how I set up a project, how I manage it inside of a Git repository, how I manage that parameterization, the, the credentials, the processes and workflows that individual developers uh, go through to to build out that application. So there's a stand-in that people will say, uh, how do I build a CI/CD pipeline? Because they don't have a term for the, the the everything before that. That's really about the the full development workflow and life cycle. I think you bring up a really good point because that is one of those things where. I feel like the entire workflow changes, right? So it used to be, like we talked about at the beginning, you make a change to the code, you upload it to your hosting provider, or even if you did have a CI/CD process, you know, you check that in, you go through the Git, uh, you know, a Git flow uh, sort of uh, approval process, and and then you automatically kick off builds. I think a lot of that is the same, um, but certainly when it comes to doing some of the testing, um, I don't know if it's as easy anymore as just saying, oh, we're going to create a uh, a test environment or a dev environment, a staging environment, and then a production environment. I think you have a lot of individual, uh, a lot of individual developers that want to work with their own environment, like maybe have their own test environment, and and you run into the problem there, and maybe not so much a problem, but just something that you have to sort of uh, understand is, you know, how do you create all these separate test environments for um, your uh, individual developers, and maybe even beyond that, what if you are using external services like a, uh, let's say you're using, using a Aurora serverless, for example, do you create a separate instance for every single developer? Do you have a set of shared develop, uh, a shared resources that multiple developers can use? I mean, sort of what's the, what's the best practice for that? Yeah, that's a, that, that again is one of the leading questions that we hear from people. And the challenge there is that AWS has built up all of these services under this idea that you use them within this single account. And over the past few years, they slowly uh, realized that there needs to be some mechanism for creating something like an environment. Uh, and so there's ways that we help our customers manage environments if they need to uh, deploy into the same AWS accounts through proper namespacing of resources. But one of the most 
uh, effective mechanisms for achieving environment isolation is actually setting up separate AWS accounts. So what we uh, uh, suggest to our customers is that they create separate AWS accounts for each of their environments, production, staging, testing, but also for each of their developers. So Bob, Sue, Joe, Ann, all the developers on a team, it's actually lightweight enough and it doesn't cost anything to set up AWS accounts all underneath an, a, a, what AWS calls an organization uh, umbrella. And then within tools like Stackery, you've got the ability to tie each of those accounts to different environments so that each developer can have their own environment. Now, the reason that is oftentimes glossed over why this is something new in uh, cloud services uh, certainly was never really done in data centers. Uh, you didn't have separate environments in a data center uh, for each of your developers, is the fact that you can now actually spin up individual serverless environments and applications at full scale uh, for each of your developers. And it doesn't cost anything or it costs very little to run at a steady state. Um, that's one of the key benefits of a serverless architecture. Yeah, so I mean, I, I love that idea of isolating uh, individual developers, especially when you start developing something against, you know, DynamoDB tables or, uh, or um, uh, even if you're using RDBMS uh, and you need to have something like Aurora Serverless, which, you know, can scale down to zero and, and shut itself off if, uh, if you need to. But, um, but yeah, that's definitely great advice. And, and that's certainly something that I recommend as well. Um, so before we move on to the next subject, let's uh, just go over quickly some of the uh, IDEs that are available to serverless developers. I mean, obviously, Stackery has a, a web interface right now, um, but what are some of the other ones? A VS Code is a good example. Um, and what, what, el what else could, would, could developers use if they, if they were looking for an integrated development environment? Yeah, this, this kind of gets at the heart of one of the key uh, loops that we talk about within Stackery about how developers build applications. There's sort of this um, outer loop that is around infrastructure um, maintenance, management, building. So as you need to create new functions, you need to create new resources like DynamoDB tables or change the routes of an API. That's this outer loop. There's a process in which you have to build and define that. And as you mentioned, uh, one of the tools that, one of the ways we help with that at Stackery is we have a a visual editor that slurps in your AWS CloudFormation or SAM or even the serverless framework uh, projects. And it lays it out visually, allowing you to add new resources by dragging and dropping and wiring them up, uh, but then compiling all that back down into the native uh, raw CloudFormation or serverless framework or SAM, uh, what, what have you. Um, that workflow helps with this outer loop challenge of managing the infrastructure. And then there's the inner loop challenge of how do I edit the code that is in my compute resources and quickly iterate through testing and re-editing that code. And so one of the, the IDEs that people oftentimes use, uh, VS Code is extremely prevalent as it's got a great system for uh, Node.js and Python, which are the two uh, highest usage uh, languages in serverless. And 
so Visual Studio Code is a great one. Uh, JetBrains and their platform uh, is a great one. Um, PyCharms for Python as well. In fact, this has led us to uh, ask ourselves, what could we do to make that big, both of these loops, the outer loop where you're modifying infrastructure and the inner loop uh, faster? Uh, and so uh, just this past couple of weeks ago, we, we launched uh, integrations through uh, a Visual Studio Code plugin that makes it side-by-side, side, you're able to have your template uh, for your infrastructure open, and you're able to visually model uh, all the interactions between resources where you can drag and drop. And as soon as you drag in a resource, you see it update in the template and vice versa. Uh, and uh, that helps with the outer loop. Uh, and then on the inner loop, uh, we also have launched this local invocation mechanism where uh, we were talking earlier about how challenging it is to run uh, your compute code on your own laptop and yet still have the fidelity of interacting with cloud resources without doing mocks and fakes. That's sort of the, the last thing that I want to talk about is I want to get into this idea of um, how do we develop locally but use these cloud resources, right? And so um, you've used the term, I've heard the term before, cloud side or cloud local, uh, um, you know, just the idea of bringing the cloud down to your laptop as, uh, as, as you've said in the past. Um, so let's talk about that, right? So before we get into what Stackery does, what are the challenges right now um, for somebody that's trying to access remote uh, resources when they are developing, you know, maybe a Lambda function locally? Yeah. Uh you start with some code, and that code for a Lambda function has this handler that gets invoked. One of the things that uh, I did early on when I was starting to play with this to try and speed up this, this iteration workflow is, well, I could write a little wrapper script that uh, invokes that handler code function uh, with some test data just to get it running locally without having to deploy it all out. and. Uh, Came, there came along some tools that kind of helped facilitate this mechanism. Uh, AWS SAM, their, their tooling has uh, SAM local invoke where it will take your function code and it will actually spin it into a Docker container and run it as though it's in a proper Lambda environment. Uh, the serverless framework has a similar thing, but even there you have a challenge where the permissions that your function has is based on the permissions that you have locally on your laptop. Now, a lot of developers, they have permissions on their laptop, but they have sort of administrator permissions. They can, if they wanted to, uh, interact with any resources inside of their AWS account. Whereas the function that you're building, it's tied to a very specific set of permissions where you don't normally give it full administrator access. So you have to sort of, a lot of times you get your code working, and then as a second step, you have to figure out, is the code still working when I deploy it to the cloud and I've got the, the permissions set the right way? And then lastly, you've got the challenge of that service discovery piece where if I'm running on my laptop, how does my function know which DynamoDB table it should be interacting with, which SQSQ it should be sending messages to? So you've got to solve these problems through some mechanism. And a lot of people have come up with their own little test scripts on the side that help here and there. But there's, uh, 
there's a, a, a real need, a real challenge there around uh, having a workflow that a whole team within an organization can uniformly use and, and provides them with that, that sense that they're bringing the cloud to their laptop locally. Right. And I mean, it, it gets even more complex when you start thinking about um, uh, different stages, right? So you're always, you're publishing to dev or to test or to, um, you know, or to prod or whatever you've named them. And so if you're trying to access your dev tables or your SNS topic for dev and so forth, and then you also have the problem too, where even if I do publish to the correct SNS topic in a dev environment, um, if I've got other Lambda functions or SQS, um, you know, queues subscribe to those, uh, they're going to get those, um, they're going to get, you know, th th those requests are going to go through. So even if I'm testing locally. So I mean, you just have a whole bunch of things where there's probably not a perfect solution to it. Um, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this. I wrote a little uh, plugin for the serverless framework. All it does is just resolve, um, you know, just resolves the, uh, the names based off of, or resolves the references um, in there. But You've gone a lot further with that by uh, actually taking care of the, at least the permission side of it and that service discovery, as you said, right? Yeah. So what we did was we piggybacked on top of uh, AWS SAM local and how they invoke things inside of that neat little Docker environment. And we went beyond to say, well, what if, if we know where you've deployed an application into an AWS account and we can go and ask, well, for this function deployed under this name, uh, why don't we go grab all of the environment variables, which are often used for sort of the, the service discovery mechanism. Uh, you'll put, if your function needs to talk to a DynamoDB table, you'll put the name of that table in an environment variable for the function using some magic that CloudFormation uh, has. And so, uh, we go out, we grab the environment variables for the, that Lambda function, which helps with the service discovery. We also go out and we do something called assuming the uh, IAM, the AWS IAM role, which is what holds the permissions that the function is granted. We assume it, which means that we get credentials that give us those same permissions. And then we feed that into the local invocation as well. So now you are running your code inside a proper Lambda context uh, in terms of the operating system image, you have the, the same environment variable values that your function has in as it's registered inside of your AWS account, and you have the exact same permissions. And so your iteration loop here is on the order of if you make a code change uh, or, yeah, you make a code change, uh, even if it's a, a one-line change or if it's you know adding whole files, whatever it might be, um, we watch for changes on the file system and we rerun that function. And so we're talking about on the order of about five seconds to fully retest uh, in uh, a function that you are that you're developing, um, all kind of in in that cloud local environment. Yeah, and so the the other thing you had mentioned too about the uh, the the plugin that you developed um, for uh, for VS Code. So, if anyone has developed sort of a uh, even the most basic of serverless apps, once you start adding resources, um, you know it's always funny to me, like especially if you're doing SNS 
topics with subscriptions. You have to create the permissions for the subscriptions. It's like seven different things you have to do for every uh, SNS topic with subscription that you want. Um, and you have to have that in your resources. Um, so this is going to take sort of the experience that I get on Stackery now, and you're going to bring that right onto my local laptop. I don't have to communicate with the web or do any of that stuff. It's just going to run locally. Yeah. One of the things that as we built Stackery, and it's got this this neat visual editing that um, really unlocks the power of uh, cloud formation and all the AWS services inside of AWS for people. Uh, it actually becomes almost like a learning platform for them as they become more comfortable understanding, oh, if I drag this thing in on this canvas, all I see it doing is adding these few resources in the cloud formation template. They, they start to become more comfortable with it, and then they start to learn, and they start to be able to teach that to the rest of their team. Uh, it's been interesting seeing that become a, a kind of like a learning platform. But leaving that aside, one of the challenges that uh, some people had with uh, the Stackery visual editing was that there's this context switch where if I have to create a function and then modify code, I would log into Stackery in a web browser. And I would add a function, I'd drag it into the canvas and I'd wire it up and that's great. I would commit that to my Git provider, but then I'd have to go to my IDE and I'd have to pull down the changes and now I'm ready to write code. And when I'm ready to test, I have to push that back up to Git and then I have to go back to Stackery and tell it to deploy. So there's a lot of context switching involved. And so one of the really exciting things about what we released a couple weeks ago with our Visual Studio uh, code integration is the fact that we're bringing all of that into the IDE. You don't have to leave the IDE when you need to modify your infrastructure. You don't need to leave the IDE when you need to deploy out to uh, your, your AWS account. Uh, you don't need to leave the IDE when you're iterating on your code. And so this is really the that uh, next uh, transformative step in helping people build serverless applications uh, effectively. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, uh, just the amount of documentation surrounding CloudFormation uh, is overwhelming. And uh, as good as the documentation is, and it has what it needs, um, sometimes the examples aren't always super clear. Um, you always have this issue where it says, you know, whenever you have nested, um, sort of nested values, it'll say, oh, this requires this SNS topic value or whatever it is, you have to click into that and then see what that has. And that may have nested things. Um, so I think you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, that you can use it as sort of a learning experience or a learning tool um, because it does, it gives you all of the possible options. Um, there's not, you don't have to, you know, go and look at all this documentation, it just kind of does it for you. And of course, once you do these things a few times, certain things become sort of second nature to you. Um, but definitely, um, you know, a really, really great feature. So, um, I mean, I love, I love what you guys are doing over at Stackery. Uh, you have a great team over there. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think people could, can really benefit from, um, from using this just, even if it's just to use it as a learning platform, but um, obviously, uh, you know, to become customers of yours, I think would be great as well. But um, well, anyways, so I think I think that probably wraps us up. Um, you know, thank you so much for joining me, Chase, and uh, for obviously continuing to share uh, all of your knowledge with uh, 
the uh, serverless community and uh, with what you guys are doing at Stackery. Um, so how can uh, people find out more about you and, and what's, uh, uh, what's Stackery up to? Yeah, so our website is stackery.io and we push things out on our blog very frequently, at least once a week, if not much more. Uh, I we, like the name. I like the name, by the way, Stacks on Stacks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's a good name. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we one of the most interesting things is uh, we've got a change log and we have some people on our team who are exceedingly witty. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I don't know if a change log is the most exciting thing to most people, but, uh, you know, in the past month, it's been uh, adding support for visually editing uh, WebSockets uh, APIs to the uh, cloud local invocation mechanisms to the IDE integration, um, all these exciting things. Uh, Changelog has it first. And um, uh, you can always reach us on Twitter as well. Uh, personally, uh, my handle is TXASE uh, on Twitter, and I would be happy to uh, answer any uh, questions people might have. Uh, and um, lastly, I would say inside of Stackery itself, say that you're thinking of doing serverless. Uh, maybe you've tried it, but you have had a hard time figuring it out. You're just not sure. You don't have the confidence uh, of how to build a successful serverless application. If you sign up and you start using Stackery, if there's any questions you might have, one of the most prominent features of our application is there's a little chat box down there. And uh, we staff that uh, all the time. And we get back to people, not just about like, oh, I, I can't figure out how to do this in Stackery, but like, oh, I need to add a CloudWatch alarm on a random resource metric. Uh, I don't have any idea how to do that with CloudFormation. And we help people get off the ground running. Uh, it, you know, oftentimes it just takes a couple of interactions to understand how AWS accounts work, how CloudFormation works. We'll be there to help you figure that out and then get you off to the races. And uh, you guys have a, uh, you know, speaking of teaching, you have a live stream every Wednesday, right? Every Wednesday. Yep. Uh, we had you on a couple of weeks ago. It was That's great. Right. Uh, right. it, was, it was one of the best ones, I think, when, when you well, were talking about that. the uh, architectural patterns. Um, and then last thing, again, uh, I know you guys do a lot for the, um, uh, for the community. You host the Portland serverless meetups, right? Yes. Every month, we've got our, our serverless meetup, uh, taking in the best serverless practitioners from around the area. Awesome. All right. Well, I will uh, make sure we get all of that stuff in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Chase. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Mr. Chase Douglas for being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash four. For more serverless chats, be sure to subscribe to the podcast using your favorite apps like iTunes and Stitcher. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.